Well, sometimes I would bang myself. Like I'd, I'd find a bruise, like, where did I get this? Like, I'm just not embodied. And I think it's important for us when we're doing this work to turn back to yourself, to go inward, to become embodied, to not randomly bruise yourself <laughs> along the way. Welcome to the Be Change Podcast. We're your hosts, Warren Goldstein-Gelb. And Marcy Goldstein-Gelb. This podcast is for leaders and emerging leaders who care about social change and about how to make a great difference in the world. The podcast explores strategies, tools, and stories to help you strengthen your social change and nonprofit leadership skills. Most Be Change guests have been either executive directors of social justice organizations or have a particular skill they're offering leaders. But our guest today, Sharonda Almeida, does both. Her organization specializes in building the capacity of nonprofit leaders, and she's an outstanding leader in her own right. Her organization is the Mel King Institute, named for a lifelong activist who helped launch the community development movement in Boston in response to urban renewal and displacement. In 1968, to stop the city from taking community land to build a mall parking lot, Mel King and other protesters literally camped on the land, creating a tent city. That activism pressured the city to begin to address affordable housing and led to the creation of Tent City Corporation, a nonprofit community-controlled development organization. In our interview, Sharonda keeps returning to Mel King's central principle. You create community by building relationships, not just building brick and mortar structures. Sharonda Almeida, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So Sharonda is the director of the Melking Institute, and she's a leader at the Mass Association of Community Development Corporations. And we want to today talk a little bit more about the Melking Institute and its approach to leadership. Sharonda, for people who may not be familiar with Mel King, although he's extraordinarily well-known throughout the country and particularly in Boston. Can you tell us a little bit about why it was named for him and does he have a particular approach to leadership? Yes, so Mel King is seen as the grandfather of the community development movement. And when he was a state rep, he partnered with a lot of leaders to create the CDC or the community development infrastructure that still exists today. Then we have his activism work. So when we think about organizing and neighborhood um, involvement and getting residents engaged through the work that he did at Tent City, he has quite a legacy. So we really wanted to ground it in someone who had the spirit of resident empowerment and activism. So I think he was very generous in allowing us to use his name and Now we have to live up to his values. He talks a lot about love. Um, So we try to infuse all of that into our programming. How would you describe the leadership approach of Mel King or of the people involved in the Institute? So I would say our approach is really based on seeing who's there and what they need. What are some of the issues that they face in their neighborhoods? So one of the ways we do that is through mentoring, getting people together, building their networks, and also demystifying the field so people are able to find their path. 
And I would also add that we try to have that spirit of connecting with people in a genuine way, having, you know, good food at our meetings, you know, just like breaking bread together, just those really basic things like building relationships between and among folks. So how does some of that breaking bread together, and also you mentioned earlier love, um, (laughs) you know, is it a direct skill that you're trying to infuse throughout the program? And how does it benefit people who are learning about leadership? This concept of breaking bread, well, one, we just always make sure people are taken care of. I feel like it's creating a container so people are able to be present and be there. So just the basics, like Mel even said to us in the beginning, like, make sure you always have food at your meetings and make sure it's food from different places so people get exposed to different folks. Is it healthy? Is it from a local uh, business? Are we like supporting small business, women-owned businesses? And I would say another is um, a lot of input from the folks who are involved, and then just creating a a space where people are really able to reach their full potential. And if that's learning information from a training or participating in a program, you know, either one. So what is it about your own story, your own background, that led you to this social justice work, community economic development, and then further the healing work that you are very much engaged in? What led me to, whoa, we got to get in the way back machine. Tell you were five. (laughs) The way back machine. (laughs) Well, I guess I'd start off with where I grew up. So I grew up in affordable housing. I didn't know it. I don't know if most people know they do, but I didn't. Um, I grew up in Georgetown Homes. And so it was a predominantly white community. And it was right after all the redlining without revealing my age. <laughs> there was a lot of white flight in Boston um, in the early 70s. And so in Georgetown, that was, you know, my family moved in when the development opened. And I was fortunate enough, like my mom lived there, my grandmother lived there, my my um my godmother as well. But it was very clear that we were not like everybody else, you know, and um, most people are familiar with Boston's racial history, but it could be really intense at times. And I actually had the reverse busing experience. Um, So when I was um, in elementary school, I was able to walk to school, which was great. And then when I was in middle school, I was actually bused to a black community, um, which was also great. (laughs) So, but it was this really interesting um, experience of like noticing different communities from the beginning. Like, why is this community like that? Why are certain people leaving the community? You know, why do people whisper Roxbury when they say it? You know, things like that. Um, So I think growing up in Boston, it was, I was very curious and also really wanted to connect with a lot of different types of people. I was an only child, so once I got out of the house, I was like, la, 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 I want to talk to people and connect. Not so good in school all the time, but I think that was, that kind of piqued my interest. When I was in in high school, in college, I started to do some social change efforts, connecting with a lot of folks. I remember being part of this group called Children of War. That was a space where young people who lived um, in war-torn countries or even like really poor communities would share their experience um, and travel around and talk to schools. So there was this, I started to become aware of like, oh, okay, things are different in different places and getting involved with friends who are doing a lot more um, organizing and social activism. So I was doing a lot of stuff in my 
free time. And then when I went to college, it was like, oh, maybe I'll be a lawyer. Or maybe I'll study this. It was completely disjointed from everything else that I was doing. And at some point in time, I realized, I'm like, wait a minute, nonprofit work. Like I was a program kid. You know, I did a lot of programs growing up that were run by um, nonprofits. And it at the time, um, a lot of the universities didn't have these nonprofit certificate programs. Like it was always like study business or, you know, nursing or <laughs> it was just very. Yeah. So um, it took me a while to find my way. But I realized that all these organizing and peace um, efforts that I was doing in my spare time, like I could. I was like, yeah, like what better way to make a living than to make the world a better place? You know, I did a lot of youth work, um, love working with young people. I think they're easier to work with than adults sometimes. <laughs> but that was where I kind of got my, my education and my training was through youth development. And then I ended, ended up shifting into community development. And I really didn't learn about community development until well after graduate school. Um, like when I started working for MACDC was pretty much when I learned about community development. And the, and the healing work? Oh, the healing work happened much later. I was in a dance troupe. So, you know, love the creative arts, love to move. So I would, you know, work my nonprofit job. And then I'm like, I don't want to go to a gym and get on a machine. And it was through being in a dance troupe that I realized it's really important to stay connected to your body. And a lot of times when we're sitting all day in meetings and on computers, you get very disconnected. And I found that yoga and meditation kept me more in my body. You know, I would literally, well, sometimes I would bang myself. Like I would, I'd find a bruise, like, where did I get this? Like, I'm just not embodied. And I think it's important for us when we're doing this work to turn back to yourself, to go inward, to become embodied, to not randomly bruise yourself <laughs> along the way. So the yoga and Reiki are not just activities in and of themselves. You bring them back through embodiment, for example, yes. um, to everything you do, right? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yeah, it's important. Um, that's why even like in, sometimes in meetings, people will look to me, they're like, Sharonda, lead us in some breath. <laughs> but it's really important to just keep us present and and you're and you're just a better person right you're just you're you're able to be your true self if you're not burning the candle at both ends i remember when i first started working you know with my colleagues who are the same age really active and wanting to be involved and we would we would be like, oh, but we're not going to be like those other activists from like the 60s. Like, they're just like crazy. <laughs> you know, like, you know, we want to be balanced. We want to be whatever. We don't want to be this like nonprofit martyr. Like, like I never take vacations. I work so hard. And we're just like, that's not cool. Like, Because we're doing this work so we can enjoy the world, so we can enjoy our lives, so we can enjoy um, our communities. We're doing this for a reason. And it's because we love, <laughs> going back to Mel, you know, it's about that love and that passion for like our neighborhoods and communities. So it's so important for us to not work so hard that you're not able to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Fantastic. Great. So do you have an example of how you use some of the leadership skills and capacities that you're developing to help them turn the organization around or be stronger and more effective? Within the Alliance for Racial Equity, we hosted a webinar about a report, the Race to Lead report that was looking at women of color and nonprofits. And we had about 15 to 20 women of color in the room. The report had a lot of interesting findings. We were discussing as a group this ability to be your, your true self at your job, you know, really feeling that you're able to 
bring your personality and not have to leave parts of your identity outside of the job. You know, that was really important for all people, but specifically women of color and dealing with particular biases that might exist when you assert your leadership as a woman of color. You know, so if you're saying something with a lot of passion, are you falling into the too emotional category or are you just being very passionate? You know, and what does passion look like in a woman and what does passion look like in a man? You know, and that folks might not be familiar or as aware or maybe they have never been led by women of color. So if you don't know what you don't know, (laughs) you don't know. (laughs) I've heard some some statistics around typical corporate leaders or white males that are like almost six feet tall. So there's this this certain image that we're socialized with around what a leader is. And I think we need to redefine that. And that's part of what's what was happening in that conversation. And I also think is happening today. I see, we see that um, with some of the leaders that we have in our CDCs and other um, community development organizations. I'm just thinking, you know, Janelle Chan, the leader of the Department of Housing and Community Development, Crystal Cornegay, the director of Mass Housing. You know, these are powerful women of color that are leading large agencies and organizations, and, and their leadership might look different than the previous leaders. So. I want to keep going with this. I, don't know. Fine, no, fine. <laughs> I think this is a really important topic. Tell us a little bit more about uh, how the Melking Institute addresses some of these issues that were raised in this discussion. Well, we have been called to the challenge now. <laughs> we're going through a program design process for a coaching program specifically for professionals of color. So I think we've thought a lot about professionals of color, but myself being a woman and also being a woman of color, I'm definitely interested um, in this issue. And I think it's one that we'll pursue a lot more. But I would just say that our legacy at this point has really been supporting mid and senior level staff of color and integrating them more within um, community development. Um, Also doing a lot of focus groups and really listening around like what are the issues and the concerns and how can we respond as an institute. So more to come, Marcy. (laughs) Great. Fantastic. I'm wondering if you have any examples in your long tenure with the community (laughs) development world of some of the issues and challenges that through some work you saw some changes that were positive or, or maybe not. Maybe it was just a struggle. We paired a community organizer with a real estate project manager because the community organizer wanted to transition from community organizing and take that skill set in with them to real estate development. And she worked with this uh, mentor over several years, and she's now a project manager, and she's also now a mentor. Which to me is like a double good story because she was able to ascend to the position that she wanted to and get the support that she needed to make that transition without saying, well, let me just stop work and go get a whole nother degree. You know, that's not realistic for folks. Um, And we want people when they're in an organization, if they find another pathway to be able to pursue it um, and also feel confident that they can give something back as well. So that was like a nice example of somebody finding their career path, and then also being able to be a leader in that work. And this was a woman of color as well. So that was positive. Tell me if this is true or not, that you might find more turnover in nonprofit organizations or people feeling that they're not growing if they don't have that opportunity to look at other job roles and have that mentorship. And I'm wondering if you find that to be the case or what some of the challenges are of of turnover in nonprofit social justice organizations? 
Yeah, turnover is a tough thing, you know, um, and a lot of our nonprofits are very small. So that gives you limited opportunities for growth or maybe even just uh, challenges. You know, people like to take on new things. So I feel like that's something that we we face a lot and that one of the ways that we can support nonprofits is like providing low cost opportunities for people to build their skills and to advance and enhance their networks. We've also tried to do a lot just around that pipeline piece to have conversations, allowing people to um, access different opportunities like conferences. We have scholarships and so forth. I feel like when people are able to step back (laughs) and reflect on their work and have a different experience, that's a, a way to kind of keep them in their job and keep them engaged in the work that they're doing. Is that some of the stuff that? Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, you spoke earlier about renewal. And I understand that you're a yoga teacher and a Reiki teacher. Is the Mel King Institute receptive? Does it offer anything in the, along those lines? Definitely Mel um, did mention the importance of um, nonprofit staff, people that are doing social change work to embrace self-care. You know, these are folks that are really committed to their communities. And oftentimes, I mean, I do it too. I'm like, what, three o'clock? I haven't had lunch, you know, (laughs) just going to do two more things, you know. Mm -hmm. So how many people do that with other areas of their life, like not taking a vacation and so forth? So we um, early on offered a course called Bypassing Burnout with a colleague from Mindful Boston, Gina Bean, who does really great work. And that was really looking at meditation and your breath. And then I would lead the little yoga section there, like yoga's not always pretzel poses, you know, really straightforward, welcoming yoga, which is the yoga that I prefer because I feel like um, there's many types of yoga. So if you haven't found yoga that you like, there's something out there for you. We regularly host community meditation nights. There's one coming up in September and we do it right in our office. And it's just a straightforward introduction to meditation um, in a group, really accessible format, a guided meditation, and just showing people that, you know, oh, wait, I could do this. Well, so along those lines, there's this wonderful opportunity for individuals to take advantage of the, um, the yoga and other well-being resources that you're offering. In what ways do you provide or encourage leaders to integrate wellness into their organizations so that it's it's actually part of the infrastructure as opposed to, well, if you want after hours or during lunch, if you want to run over to the milking, you can get some yoga. Oh, I have lots of ideas. And it's simple as just finding a yoga teacher, finding somebody in your community and maybe just setting up a, a weekly yoga or meditations class, you know, offering it right on site, make it easy, (laughs) bring it to the people, having regular staff outings, having even having a book club, like that could be self-care, like not everybody wants to meditate and do yoga. I don't understand why, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, there's many ways for you to look out for yourself. Actually, they could apply for um, grants to get money to bring people in. So I would encourage organizations to look into that. But also this, when when we were speaking earlier, I mentioned about people being being able to bring their, their full self into an organization. You might have an employee who is interested in that and could just offer that to the staff. So, you know, crowdsource within your own organization. You don't have to make it complicated. And then I'll just leave you with, and this is again with my meditation teacher taught me the acronym STOP. So the S being stop, the 
the T being take a breath, which we can all do right now. Take a breath. The O is observe. So just stop and observe. And then the P is proceed. So just carry on. So just taking moments to just give yourself a moment to be present and to be aware it goes a long way. So I've already given you guys one little tip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take that back to your organizations. But it's I don't think it needs to be that complicated, but I think you have to um, be intentional about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does it fit to have an organization that has workers going 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and then they'll have a, a one-hour yoga, not to, not to be critical of organizations that have that young one hour of yoga, but, you know, there's a little bit of a, a contradiction in, in the sort of uh, leadership that that is really focused on you got to you got to achieve, you got to get stuff done. But yeah, take that take that little window. So is there anything that is incorporated into the the leadership development that in, encourages or provides support for leaders that are looking at how do we actually not have this be on the margins and actually integrate it into our work. I can't say we're actually doing that now, <laughs> but I really want people to <laughs> to not work like 80 hours a week. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, isn't that two jobs? Like give someone else a job. <laughs> there you go. That much. It doesn't answer the full question, mm -hmm. but when you said there's probably someone on the staff mm -hmm. who um, would love to offer the class mm -hmm. in yoga or meditation, that would light up a person who previously was not engaged. And so even though we, did, we didn't talk about, we didn't figure out the answer to the mm -hmm. question of how we don't just lop this onto their existing workload, um, we did find a way to take advantage or have them use another strength that exists mm -hmm. within the organization. Yeah, and it gives people different ways to shine. You know, yeah. that's so important to give people different ways to be present and and demonstrate their leadership in a different manner. And I would just add, I feel like there are some definitely wellness tips that with strategies that you can just implement into your your daily work. When we were at the webinar last night, Trina Jackson from TSNE was co-facilitating with me, and she said, "She said, okay, what we watched was just really heavy. Let's just take a few deep breaths before we go on." You know, so just providing space, like acknowledging, like especially when you're addressing really intense material like racism, you know, taking a breath, giving yourself a moment to be human and to be present. Um, pausing you know we've been we've been talking for like two hours maybe we should take a stretch break stand up <laughs> so these are all very basic things that we can implement but sometimes i think we get so into our work we just forget the basics i wanted to go back for a minute to the actual curriculum itself tell us a little bit more about the the nonprofit leadership development component and what you and, and Melking Institute view as being sort of core capacities or skills that you feel are important to enhance or, or that you've heard are really the greatest need? We offer financial courses. So making sure people are comfortable with numbers and budgets, it can be very intimidating. We've done it for board members. We've done it for staff. We've also offered facilitation. So, you know, it's really important if you're working in communities, you need to have that skill set of 
engaging large groups of people? And also, why are you engaging these people? You know, is it for feedback? Is it for input? Is it for them to be part of the process? Are they reflecting on something that was already decided? So I feel like some of the things that we do is really getting people to understand the difference between what's organizing, what's engagement, there's a difference. Really understanding our history is important. So we offer Introduction to Community Economic Development, which is a scan of you know, what community development is, who are all the different players, what are some of the different skills and what are the values within our field that we try to live up to. That's really important when you're working with communities to understand who's in your neighborhood, especially when you're trying to fundraise or develop different programs and activities. So I think we do it, it's not as as, as direct, but our, our values are through, you know, we walk our talk. And how about the racial inclusion component? What is included in that? So with that, we have a partnership. We've been offering Undoing Racism every year. That is an excellent training, an excellent analysis of racism in the United States. We offer it every September. (laughs) So that would be um, one of our core offerings. And we also have follow-up sessions afterwards so that we're engaging folks that have attended the trainings to really continue to understand and learn and integrate the key concepts into their work. It's a lot to go to like a training and then just think, okay, I've got it. The workshop is not the work, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a starting place. Um, the Alliance for Racial Equity Steering Committee is where we really try to operationalize it and people share like what's going on in their organization and how could we address this. One of the topics we've been addressing is planners, like how planners, how diverse is the planning field? So that's just an aspect of community development. Um, But planners have a lot of power, right? They're designing our neighborhoods. And, you know, so how can we, you know, they need to be diverse, just like everyone else does, you know, we need to have representation from all different communities. So I think part of our work, our racial equity work is really figuring out who's at the table and making sure all the right people are there, and making sure people are really thinking about that constantly and challenging themselves and allowing themselves to be a little uncomfortable. What what is in the undoing racism sort of curriculum? What what sort of activities or discussions do they? So the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond has they created the undoing racism training. They really start with an analysis um, of looking at why people are poor, and then looking at different systems and institutions, and also um, introducing concepts like gatekeeping and how that really holds communities back and how we need to address that. So I think their analysis, um, it takes two and a half days and it's it's a really powerful experience. So we've been offering it our entire existence. What do you think are some of the most important skills and capacities of a leader in a nonprofit social justice that you think they should develop? What's what's most critical for you? And since you're, I think you're going to be an interim executive director. I was just thinking that. I was Uh like, and now here I am. As an interim executive director director. and a mentor to other executive directors, what do you think are some of the most important skills and characteristics of an executive (laughs) Delegation, no. (laughs) I think it's important to be um, clear and to manage expectations for your staff and for your partners, just really what you're willing to do. Don't let people run you ragged. We, I mean, we've been talking about this all along, but the the work-home life balance is really important. Continually re-inspiring yourself. So the learning's never done, lifelong learner. Like, I feel like that's really important for a leader to not just act like, well, I know everything there is to know. 
you know, we were talking about racial equity. So really thinking about who's represented and who's not and, and how can you uplift people as you, uh, as you rise. <laughs> um, connecting with people who are interested in the work. I do a lot of one-on-ones with folks that are interested in getting into the field. And at first you're like, well, I'm not sure what to share, but we all have a lot of knowledge to offer and to share with other people. So I think it's important to, you know, not always just do what's on the work plan, but to step back and take other opportunities to engage with people and inspire people and encourage them as well. And they may not be folks that are directly on your team, but you never know that person might be someone that you'll be working with later. And that's actually happened to me a lot. I've connected with with people and just kind of shared my experiences, let them know what I know about the field. And then it'll be like two years later and they're like, yeah, we did this interview. I'm like, really? Oh, I forgot about that. So, um, and don't burn bridges. <laughs> it's a really small world and one person, you know, you could be partnering with one way, you could be working with them the next. So I think it's really important to value people and engage with a lot of different types of people. Get out of your own little bubble. That would be my last one. Fantastic. Great. I mean, thank you for uh, sharing your wisdom. Wow, that's it. Well, thank you for having me. I really um, appreciate it. You guys make it easy. Thanks for joining us on the Be Change podcast. If you like the show, subscribe on whatever podcast player you are listening on and on our website, b-change.net. Please follow us on Facebook and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks to our producer, John Consilio, and to our partners, Somerville Community Media and Boston Free Radio.